And so often we want to live in our glory days. It's kind of a thing like class reunions when you get together. It's all about the glory days of high school, or perhaps it's the glory days of college. And I have never personally wanted to live in the past like that. I, today is the day that the Lord has set before me. And today the Lord desires to do an effectual work in my life. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verses 13 through 18. We're going to be looking at God's effectual Word working to this day, I believe. In the lives of those who believe, that is what Paul writes to us here at the latter half of verse 13, saying that the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. It was an issue of faith, man. They heard the word of God in truth as it was the word of God and God's word worked effectively in them. And I believe that God's word to this day will work effectively in each of us, not just believing in it, but as we believe in Jesus, and then as we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, we'll watch God's Word do a work in our own lives, and then we'll have that testimony. What's important is what we do with Christ today. And so often we want to live in our glory days. It's kind of a thing like class reunions when you get together. It's all about the glory days of high school, or perhaps it's the glory days of college. And I have never personally wanted to live in the past like that. I Today is the day that the Lord has set before me. And today the Lord desires to do an effectual work in my life. Not only has this been the most popular book for so many years, but this book has been the most attacked book in history. Voltaire announced once that by the end of the century, the Bible would be obsolete. You know, the evolution, it was everything was starting to come into play, and they figured out that God wasn't real, and he said, by the end of this century, the Bible will be obsolete. God will not exist any longer. By the end of that century, they bought his house, set up a Bible printing shop in his house, and they were producing Bibles out of the guy's house that said it's never going to happen, never going to last. To this day, it's God's Word, and it's working effectively. If you believe, notice that that's part of that verse in verse 13, which also works effectively in you who believe and you who believe. Hey, you take the believing out of it. It's not going to work effectively in you, but you throw that in faith and not only God's word, but in 
whom it's written about, faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, God's word is going to work effectively in you. We continue on, we see that not only did God's word work effectively in those who believed in Thessalonica, but the church in Thessalonica became imitators. Now we think that imitations are bad, and if it's bacos, I agree with you. There's nothing like real bacon bits over fake ones. And so we have the advertisement of no imitation, and we think, well, that's a good thing. Hey, it's the real thing. But to imitate here means to be an actor, literally. But in the context of the scripture, it refers to imitating the faith of the churches who came before them. And so here we see that the church are imitators. Verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Jews. Now, we have had Paul's testimony already about their following in chapter 1, verse 6. And you became followers, imitators. It's the same Greek word. It's just translated followers here, imitators in uh, chapter 2. It's the same word. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, followers of us and of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes to this church saying, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Hey, follow me. In the same letter in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. I shared with you, a few weeks ago about an evangelist who used to come to my dad's church. And he would say, hey, get your eyes off of me and get them on the Lord. And I understand what he was meaning. And perhaps in his particular situation, it might have been a wise statement because ultimately his marriage would fail. He would end up in divorce. And that's not the evangelist you want to keep your eyes on, you know, Maybe he knew what was going on in his heart, and he was just saying, hey, get your eyes off of me. Get him on the Lord. The word he was speaking in one sense was true. But if he would have had his eyes on the Lord, then he could have said, as Paul said, and if I have my eyes on the Lord, then I can say, as Paul says, if you have your eyes on the Lord, then you can say, as Paul says, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. As long as we're fixed properly in Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, Paul says. Imitators of God. As long as we have our eyes clearly fixed upon the Lord. Hey, man, you can say, come on, follow me. Let me show you how it's done. Let's go for it. Wherever. I'm not ashamed. I, you know, I'm not ashamed. And follow me except for when I go on vacation because I'm going to live differently because I'm going to Las Vegas and you know Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so just follow me everywhere else but Vegas. Well, for one, I don't know if I have a friend who pastors for eight years in Vegas, and I have no desire to even go. I don't even want to be there. And one of the pastors who's been pastoring 26 years now in Vegas, he says, my life is my home and my church, my home and my church. And he pretty much finds the shortest route between the two because of how corrupt Vegas is. But if you went on vacation with Lily and I, and we didn't know you were with us, but you were watching from a distance, I don't think you'd find anything saying, oh, I can't believe what Pastor John and Lily just did. I don't know if you'd find something like that because 
even on vacation. Take the word, go through scripture, studying, fellowshipping, taking even more time in the word than I normally would because I've just learned that I don't even take books or commentaries except for maybe a plane flight, but I just want the word of God and let the word of God speak to me. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so they were following the churches of Judea. And what were they following them in? In verse 14, it says, in suffering, they were following them. Just as the churches in Judea suffered from the Jews, from their own countrymen, so are you. This area of suffering. How did the church in Judea suffer? Paul tells us in verse 15, you who killed both the Lord Jesus, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God in contrary to all men. First of all, they, they killed Jesus. It's a pretty bad thing. He's just referring to, I don't go for this whole Christ killer thing against the Jews. I love the Jewish people. I pray for Israel often. And I realized that it wasn't only the Jews who were involved in the death of Jesus Christ. It was both the Gentiles and the Jews, the representative of all the nations of the world. And we know through the word of God that Christ died for not only their sins, but for ours. And so as the Lord dying for our own sins, we're the reason that Christ went on the cross. And so we're guilty of it too. But here, Paul is just speaking about his own people. And what they did, first of all, they killed Jesus, as we know. Secondly, their own prophets they have persecuted. They killed the prophets, persecuted their prophets, and even persecuted Paul and Silas and Barnabas and those, Peter, James, and John, those who were preaching the gospel. This was what they were doing. They were persecuting the church early on. In John 1.11, the word tells us Jesus came to his own and the Jews, his own meaning the Jews, and his own did not receive him. They killed their own prophets. And, and Stephen in Acts 7, 51 and 52, but there really in verse 52, he said to them, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Come on, tell me which one they didn't persecute. Not only did they persecute them, they killed them. And he called them stiff-necked and uncircumcised of hearts and ears, not willing to hear the truth of the word of God. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart and ear. Not only did they kill the Lord, persecute their own prophets and kill many of them, they persecuted the apostles that were there in the early church. But Paul said, they do not please God and they are contrary to all men. How are they contrary to all men? By forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Now this is the condemnation against the Jewish... I have never done that Exciting, huh? I'll wake you up. <laughs> a condemnation against the Jewish nation. <laughs> You've been waiting for years, haven't you? He's going to set that Bible down on that. I need a big pulpit. I do this for a reason. One of the guys that used to go here years ago asked, do you still pick up the Bible when you preach? I said, absolutely. I said, because I want nothing between me and my people but the word of God. And so it's here for a reason, because God's word works effectively in you. And so it's there, it's sitting there. It's not that we worship the word of God, but we know that God's word works effectively in us. And so we keep referring back to it. The persecution of the church is where we were at. 
In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested, threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer. Acts chapter 5, all the apostles are arrested, beaten, and again warned not to speak in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 6 and 7, we know that Stephen was seized and then eventually drug out of town and stoned to death. Acts chapter 8, Scripture tells us Saul made havoc of the church. Now, he was part of this, but he made havoc of the church, dragging men and women off to prison, putting even some of them to death. Acts 9, Saul is saved and preaches Christ in Damascus, and he is nearly killed himself. Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa 1 kills James. John's brother has Peter arrested. And this is all attacks against the Judean church, the churches in Judea. And then the story shifts from there and really gets into the Gentile church, of whom Paul is talking about. You guys are also imitators of the churches in Judea of suffering. But they don't please God, and they're contrary to men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Contrary to all men, preventing the effectual work of God working in the hearts of people who may believe. I was thinking about that this week. With the recent school shootings that we had, I did a little investigation and found that we've had 25 school shootings. In these 25 school shootings, there have been 114 people injured, 57, give or take a few, because I didn't know if I wanted to count the person who killed and committed suicide himself. If they were a kid, if they were a teenager, I counted them in this number. If they were adults, like we had two recently, I didn't put them in the count. So the number's higher connected to this, but at least 57. Dwayne Morrison, Eric Hanstock, Charles Roberts. What if the word of God was preached to them? What if the word of God got effectively into their hearts? But I think one of the most amazing things I heard about this whole horrific thing was from one 25-year-old Amish man this week who said, I quote, When something happens like this, we always ask God why. But maybe this is a fruitful reign to bring our people closer to God. Wow, what a twist. This is just two days after the event. And this 25-year-old man saying, man, this just might draw us closer to the Lord. And the reason I'm saying this is that they are preventing, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. And they're trying to prevent us through the airwaves. They're taking prayer out of school. They're wanting to get God out of the pledge and God we trust off our currency. Any Judeo-Christian scripture verses out of our courthouses. And there are constant attacks against the word of God. And they truly believe that the biggest danger in this world is those of us who literally believe the word of God. We're the problem. They're not. And if they can just quiet us, squelch us, quiet us down, they'll be able to solve the world's problem. But they're not. What they're actually doing is forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. They're forbidding the word of God to go forth that people's lives can be changed. And when people's lives are changed then you'll end up with a Raul Reese or a Mike McIntosh or somebody who's doing good in this world and not doing evil, not bringing hate. Got to finish this up, four verses, 17. It says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in present, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. In Second Thessalonians, he 
He also talked about their great desire. He just had a great desire to get back to them. He calls himself a father to these churches, and they're his kids, and he can't see them because of the persecution, because he knows that he's the target. And if he shows up, most likely the persecution will increase and be even worse for them. So better that he leaves. But he says, man, I greatly desire my heart endeavors more eagerly to see you. I want to be with you again. And then in verse 18, he says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. So at least two times he said, I tried, but Satan hindered. Interesting. Twice Satan hindered Paul from going back to this church to minister to this church. But in the same missionary journey in the book of Acts, we learn that the Holy Spirit hindered him also in Acts 16.6, the beginning of this missionary journey. It tells us that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycia, they tried to go to Bethany, but the Spirit did not permit them to go. The reason I'm mentioning this is that sometimes hindering doors aren't necessarily Satan's attack against you. Sometimes it's the Lord. So tell me, Pastor John, how do you know? Well, that is a very good question. Sometimes you are so dead set on something that you're planning on going through a door that the Lord has clearly shut and you're determined, I'm going to get there. I know these people in Asia need to hear the word of God. Now, in God's plan, he would place Paul in a place in Corinth where he would teach for 18 months. And it tells us the church in Corinth from them went the gospel throughout all Asia. So God had a plan. He says, Paul, I need to plant you in one place for at least a year and a half where you can get my word into the people. And as you get my word into the people, they're going to spread out and Asia is going to hear the gospel message of Jesus. But Paul wanted to do it by himself. And God's saying, no, Paul, it's a bigger work. It's more than you know. You can't do it on your own. But let me come alongside in the Holy Spirit and I'll show you how it's done. And so God did. A great effectual work went out because of the teaching of the Word of God, but because of faith in Jesus. And we must never forget that. But also Satan hindered. I don't know how you know. I think you have to prayerfully consider what's going on. And ask the Lord, is this you trying to prevent me from doing something you know I shouldn't be doing? Or is this Satan trying to prevent something that the message of the gospel would be prevented? And just ask the Lord, say, I'm not sure. I do not know. Give me peace. Let me know. Paul was hindered by the Holy Spirit twice. As we read in Scripture, he's hindered here twice by Satan. And he discerned the difference. I think we need to be people who are willing to discern the difference. And I don't believe that you can clearly do that without being an astute student of the Word of God, a man and woman of prayer, constantly in your faith. And then he says, verse 19 and 20, For what is our hope and our joy and our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And this is the picture that the Lord just gave me on this this morning. I can just picture Paul. Actually, if I want to back it up before that, I can even go a step further. I can picture Stephen standing before the Lord. And a group of guys and women standing behind Stephen, and one of these mingled in there, I believe, is Paul. Because it was when they laid the coats of those who stoned Stephen at the feet of Saul, 
then saw wrecked havoc on the church. I believe the testimony of Stephen penetrated a nerve in Saul's heart that at first he tried to fight so severely against it. Ultimately, we know that Jesus got a hold of him. And so for Stephen, I believe Paul is one of his crowns that he's going to present to the Lord. I know I didn't personally lead him to the Lord, but it's what he saw in my life that day that ultimately he came. And then Paul, as he's standing there, he has the church of Thessalonica behind him. Hey, you are my crown and my joy. He says to present you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. He is a good steward who took what the Lord had gave him and then doubled it. You remember the story of the parable of the, the talents to one, the master gave five to another two to another one. The one who was given five, the one who was given two, they doubled their investment and gave it back to their master and said, hey, you gave me five, here's ten. Hey, you gave me two, here's four. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will make you rulers over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done. But when we think about that and we sing a song about that today, we want to hear those words, don't we? But what are we going to present Jesus? I believe it's the talents, the gifts, the responsibilities that he has given us. And for me, it's just reading through Thessalonians over and over again. I'm realizing that you're part of it. But before me, there'll be Pastor Mike, who pastored here for six and a half years. And then he, he handed the baton off to me. Right now I'm hanging on to it. I'm not letting it go. I'm not bobbling it, not dropping it for anyone else. But we're going to have people behind us saying, here, Lord, here's our gift. Here's our present. But behind me will be you with the ministries that the Lord have you involved with. And it could be in Sunday school where one of those little children have accepted the Lord. So though you're behind Mike, you're behind me, behind you are the ones who receive the Lord because of the ministry and the work that you have done in your life. And then the little children who grow up in faith that the Lord tarries as they lead others to the Lord. And you can just see this huge picture of all those who have come to the Lord as we present our gifts back to Jesus. Lord, you delivered to me five talents. I've taken them. Here's ten. Lord, you've delivered to me two talents. Here they are. Here's four. I've doubled it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, you gave me a talent and I buried it. And here it is. You wicked and evil, lazy, he said, servant. I wonder where we're at. Man, I don't want to hear that. Wicked, I don't want to hear that. Actually, to this guy, he says, go into utter destruction. And we don't want none of that. But I do want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And when he's saying that, it has to do with gifts and rewards. Paul says, I'm going to present you guys to my Lord. It's my... It's my glory. It's my joy. It's my hope. You're my crown of rejoicing. What's your glory? What's your joy? What's your hope? I believe that God's word has worked effectively in many of your lives, is working effectively in many of your lives today. Are we being imitators of the churches who have gone before us? Or is God's word slipping from our grasp here in the, as a nation? It is. But how about here in our fellowship? I do care what's happening in the nation, in our world. I do. But I am primarily concerned with what's happening in my life and your life. And what are we going to do? What are we going to present to the Lord? What's going to be your crown? Hey, it is about rewards. That's part of it. 
I'll be glad to be in heaven, and that would be sufficient. But the rewards are part of the deal. And we get to present something to Jesus. And if you're going to present something to Jesus, wouldn't you want to present something nice? I mean, isn't it our nature? If we're going to see somebody famous, you're going to, the custom of going to the president, perhaps bringing a gift, you know, if to him, somebody with great wealth like that, it might not mean much. But you're not going to probably bring something that doesn't mean much. You're going to bring something that means a lot to you. We have the greatest one we'll be presenting to one day, and what are you going to offer up? What's going to be your crown of rejoicing? Here, Lord, here it is, man. I know it's not much, but I've taken the two talents that you gave me, and, and here they are, four. And he'll say, well done. I've taken the five, here they are, ten. Great, well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Here's your talent back, Lord. Can I get to heaven by the skin of my teeth now? That's the attitude of some of us. May it not be our attitude here today. Father, we ask that you'd bless your word. May it work effectively in us who believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And may the Lord God bless you and keep you. May his face always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Hey.